Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Formula Nerds Cuts the Race podcast. My name is Sam. This week, I'm one of two co-hosts and also one of two co-panelists. But fear not, making up more than half the insight and half the preparedness is Abby. Abby, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's it's a bit strange, isn't it? Just the two of us. Ollie and James aren't here. It's a bit weird. It is a little bit. But, you know, we'll press on. I'm sure we can do a good job in their absence. What's that? You're wondering why they're not here? Well... <laughs> Interestingly, first of all, James has had a, well, a major life event in the past couple of days. James has become a father, which is very exciting. All the love from all the Formula Nurse family uh, to James and Louise, his partner. And of course, baby Leo, their new baby boy. Uh, yeah, we're thrilled for him and we're very much looking forward to, to having him back on the show, but want him to thoroughly enjoy his paternity leave um, for the moment. Uh, so that's where James is. The other half, more comically, um, Ollie appears to <laughs> currently be living on the set of B-Movie. Um, his, his house has been infiltrated by a swarm of bees, um, which is really bizarre uh, if I hadn't seen video evidence I thought would have put it down as one of the worst excuses of all time but it does look <laughs> quite, quite severe um, it does um, so let's uh, first of all press on as we usually do um, adopting the Mackenzie scale of course uh, of ratings Abby what was your race rating so I actually thought this race was maybe one of the better ones we've seen this season so far and not just because of who ended up on the podium but I've given it a 7.5 out of 10 there was a lot of action throughout the weekend obviously the track had the new the track had the new format with the removal of the chicane which did prove to be quite interesting during the race and qualifying as well so as usual I've gone for a 0.5 7.5 out of 10 Mercedes were performing well. There were a lot of mixed performances from surprising teams, I'd say. But I enjoyed it overall. Yeah, to, to be fair, I think you're spot on. I think as far as Spanish Grand Prix is going, I think because because that expectation, that barrier for a good weekend is is lower, it really cleared that. Um, so, I, yeah, I thought it was a pretty good weekend. I actually think it was, was an eight overall um, because you had mixed strategies, you had... 
there was, behind Verstappen, there was a lot going on and it was quite difficult to call. So it was, as he said, one of the more interesting races this season. F2, I mean, always does some heavy lifting. Uh, <laughs> let's, 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 let's be fair there. But the race itself offered up some, some surprises and, you know, it's amazing what the change to the final two corners can do strategy wise. It totally opened up the race, not just aided overtaking, which there was a little bit of will it, won't it, because obviously you'd be following the car very closely um, through those quicker final two sections, uh, final two corners, which is how the layout was, what, pre-2007. So, yeah, we were a bit unsure there, but what it did do is obviously increase tyre degradation and therefore more strategies. It's gone from a kind of fairly safe one stop, two stop if you want to, to they're even talking about three stops. So having a race one to three stops as an option is, yeah, uh, pretty unusual for this era of Formula One. So yeah, with that, I'm going to give it an eight out of 10. So yeah, one of my higher ones of the year. But with that, Let's cover the news heading into the weekend. So a few talking points. Uh, Firstly, Ferrari ditched the bathtub um, side pod, which I think lots of people were pretty upset about. Abby, were you a fan of that look? Um, I didn't mind it. It's obviously now the upgrades that they've bought, the new side pods, resemble more of the Red Bull design, which... I'm guessing, obviously, Ferrari have had quite a lacklustre beginning to this season. They haven't been where they've wanted to be. They've been fourth in the championship. So changing their philosophy to a Red Bull-esque, Aston Martin-esque and Mercedes-esque, as they got rid of their no-sidepod concept, um, was the way to go for them. It's Barcelona's a testing track, obviously. So hopefully the team can take away from what they've learned this weekend and put it forward into more upgrades. I know Leclerc said that the aim is for Ferrari to bring some small upgrades nearly every race weekend to help them get back to where they want to be. I must say, I do prefer the old side pods. I feel like the car looked a bit sleeker and a bit smarter to what it does now. But if these new side pods work, then it's the way to go for Ferrari. Yeah, exactly. I think the look of car is important early in the year when the liveries get released, when the cars get released. That's the big talking point because we haven't seen them on track. But this point in the season, if it runs better on circuit, you know, you're not, you're exactly. not, it's not about aesthetics, let's face it. Um, yeah, I, I think there's, there's still work to, for Ferrari to do absolutely as, as we saw over the weekend. But clearly the, you get that uniform approach as we get further into an era of regulations as there's kind of, yeah, um, less differentiation, uh, you know, across the grid. And we're starting to see that obviously Mercedes last week, as you said, and now Ferrari. Um, and yeah, Barcelona, it's got a good mix of slow, medium and high speed corners. It's a really good barometer and litmus test for the rest of the calendar, which was interesting because Mercedes were very much downplaying the, um, possibility of an improvement this weekend they're saying it's not really going to show much or it's not going to be the the best uh barometer for for where we actually will end up being and i remember i said to you i feel like they're going to say that all year every race is going to be that that you know this that and the other um so yeah with that where you know did you buy that going into the weekend and yeah where where was mercedes performance from there well like you said they have been saying that nearly all season they've like they began the season saying the w14 is one of the worst cars i think lewis compared it to one of the mclarens that he first drove which was an awful car for him they really didn't like it but now monaco did show a slight improvement but obviously monaco's monaco it's a unique track a street circuit very tight and narrow and coming into barcelona oh it won't make that much difference i know lewis said that he didn't think he was going to get into the top 10 in qualifying after the practice sessions because they weren't where they wanted to be. And both drivers did complain a lot of some issues across the weekend. I know they said like the car is bottoming out in practice and that. I wasn't expecting the result that we got, but I was expecting them to battle Ferrari, which we did see. Obviously, Mercedes came out on top. So hopefully these upgrades will 
continue to improve. I hope Mercedes don't downplay everything this season because then it does just get a bit repetitive and it's all a bit like, okay, you're saying that, but that might not actually happen because we've seen before. But yeah. Yeah, there's so much uh, so much politics and and deceit that goes on to this. You know, you're trying to win the PR battle before the weekend and then actually win the battle on track when you get there. And we saw that from Mercedes heading into the weekend. It's really nice, though, that Ferrari, Mercedes and Aston Martin, to a degree, were all there or thereabouts this weekend. Hopefully that will kind of ebb and flow across the year. The final kind of big talking point over the weekend, and it's one of my more favourite ones uh, in recent time, was Gunther Steiner in Thursday's press conference basically said that the stewards were laymen and uh, was referring to professionals in other sports. So he was basically being critical of the stewarding at the Monaco Grand Prix, which was last weekend. He got called to the stewards for these comments. Clearly not taking them too kindly. He received a reprimand. And I think my favourite bit is that his defence, and has said directly, and I quote verbatim from the steward's document, Mr. Steiner stated that if he had meant to insult or offend anyone, he would have used much different words. The stewards do not dispute this. I mean, it's true. We all know that Steiner can use some very flavourful language at times. And that statement is true. It's funny. It's fair, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just bang on for Gunther Steiner, isn't it? It's it's so funny. Like, just that the stewards do not dispute this. It's just (laughs) so funny. Just fully leaning into it. We know fully what Gunther Steiner's like. Yeah. Brilliant. And, yeah, I mean... I think he should be able to criticise and hold the stewards to account for their decision-making and their standards. Did, did he do it in the right way? Maybe not. Uh, you know, they've long been volunteers in Formula 1. That is just how that has worked. And, yeah, he maybe was a little bit close to the bone. It was, it was a little bit too close to home. Um, and, yeah, they didn't take kindly, as I said. But we move on. He learns from it and we got a fun new story out of it in the process. So with that, Abby, over to you to cover practice. Yes. So obviously lots of teams bringing different upgrades. Pirelli were testing a new hard compound tyre as well, which was driven by various drivers throughout practice. And that will be introduced permanently from the British Grand Prix this season. But in FP1, there was a bit of contact between Gasly and Sargent in the late stages. Mercedes upgrades weren't proving to have the pace that people thought. So in that respect, the team's the team statements about the upgrades not having that much potential was true. And it was Verstappen, Perez and Ocon who found a new lease of life after Monaco in the top three. And the interesting thing from FP1 was Verstappen was on mediums. Perez was on softs, but Verstappen was seven tenths of a second quicker than his teammate in the same car. A sign of things to come, really. If you look at the the weekend in in total, it was just dominance. There was two different leagues at Red Bull this weekend, uh, and yeah, Max Verstappen, a class of his own. He definitely was. And in FP2, he topped the timesheets again. And it was Alonso and Hulkenberg who rounded out the top three. But we saw Russell complaining of quite a lot of bottoming being an issue on the car. Science went over the curbs. Ferrari thought there might be damage, but there wasn't. And Hassan Aston Martin were testing new front wings during the session as well. And then in the final practice session of the weekend, we saw the first red flag brought out by Sergeant as he crashed into the barriers at turn 14. And whilst the session was then halted for the drivers going out on track, rain arrived. And then it was, do we go out on slicks? Do we go out on inters? Lando Norris was the first out on the inters, but he went wide at one corner and came back in. The track then dried up a bit. Most drivers still went out on inters though, and Stroll went into the gravel, but kept going. And it was Verstappen, Perez and Hamilton for the top three. And moving into qualifying, we'd obviously had a wet F2 race in between, uh, which you know threw up a fair amount of excitement uh, for a sprint race. But yeah, moving into, uh, into Q- Q1, 
still a fair amount of water at various parts of the track, including the kind of turn 11 kink. So in between uh, the reprofile turn 10 from what I think it was last year or the year before they reprofiled it to how it traditionally was, and then turn 12, we've saw quite a few guys spinning around, including Nick DeVries twice. We certainly did. I think Sonoda went off, Alonso had a snap at one point, Albon went off, Bottas went off into the gravel, and then the red flag came out. And lots of people questioned whether it was for Bottas going off or for the track conditions. But yeah, DeVries had two spins at turn 11. And I remember hearing him on the radio to the team and he kept saying, what am I doing wrong at this corner? Because he just couldn't get the hang of it in Q1. But he did get the hang of it enough to progress. So out in Q1, out in Q1, it was Bottas, Magnussen, Albon, Leclerc in 19th, and Sargent. And that was the first time Leclerc has been out of Q1 since Monaco 2019. Yeah, it was a, a really quite bizarre session for him. It, he didn't seem yeah. to know what was up with the car. He also had a couple of moments in turn 11 as well. But more worryingly, the team didn't seem to know what was wrong. No, and... It's a shame because they brought these upgrades and whilst they didn't have high expectations, I expected both Ferraris to kind of be level in performance. I think at one point towards the end of Q1, Leclerc set his set a lap time and it put him 11th. But then with the track evolving, everyone else then started to set their laps and it just pushed him down to 19th. And it was a shame to see because he hasn't had a great season and it doesn't look like he's going to get anywhere so far with Ferrari because there's just so many issues that they need to work out for him. Yeah, every weekend it's a new issue at the moment and it's very much two steps forward, one step back across the the whole team, the race package, the car, everything. And yeah, it, the poor guy just can't cut a break. It feels like the last year, since kind of this point of the season, in 2022 it's just been a real real mess i reckon if you went back and looked at the results from a year ago they would look you know it would be surprisingly bad reading particularly given how he started last season yeah well in q2 we saw perez not have a great weekend because he ended up going over the gravel he did get it going again but not enough to get into q3 we saw Norris he was in the bottom five at one point but he managed to get himself out of it and then a bizarre thing happened between the Mercedes drivers Russell and Hamilton made contact going down the main straight and it looked like Russell cut across Hamilton and that he didn't see him and Hamilton as a result lost his end play of the front wing but that was the extent of his damage he did manage to complete Q3 as well but speaking on the issue Russell said, I think it was just a big miscommunication. A lot of traffic on the outlap. I was just looking ahead, trying to make, trying to take the slipstream from Carlos Sainz. And the next thing I know, Lewis was there. What did you think of that incident between them, Sam? Well, if my memory serves me correctly, Russell was behind Lewis. Lewis kind of came across. Yeah. Yeah, so, he did. So I, uh, it's a bit bizarre. Like, uh, no doubt there was confusion there, right? They obviously didn't mean to do that and they didn't quite guess what the other one was going to do. Carlos Sainz being there definitely, definitely played his part because he was actually occupying a fair amount of the track and they kind of ended up vying for the same piece of tarmac, essentially. It was one of those things. It happens. <clears throat> you know, we, we all know that Mercedes have had far worse coming <laughs> together uh, in Catalonia. So, yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, yeah, it clearly had an impact on, on Russell's Saturday. Uh, Hamilton obviously was able to replace the end plate and set a, a lap time that was good enough to get into Q3. But yeah, Russell was, alongside Perez, one of the, well, the th second and third high-profile casualties of the weekend in qualifying. Yes, so both of them were out of Q2, and so was Joe, DeVries and Sonoda. So heading into Q3, you have Verstappen, you had Hamilton and Science. You had Hulkenberg, both Alpines, both McLarens, and both Aston Martins. Not a lot really happened during Q3. I think Aston Martin was still working on Alonso's car, so he didn't get a lot of running during the session. But 
no surprise to the listeners. Verstappen got pole position. Sites was on the front row. Norris then did an amazing lap, putting his McLaren P3. Gasly was P4, Hamilton P5, Stroll P6, Ocon P7, Hülkenberg P8, Alonso P9, which is his worst start this season, and Piastri P10. However, in Q1, Gasly was noted for impeding Science and Verstappen. And as a result, he did receive a six-place grid penalty, bumping him down to P10 and Hamilton up to the second row for the race. Yeah, it's 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 tough on, on Pierre that, I mean, they were both penalties, so two, three-place grid penalties down to P10, elevated everyone else. But there are a few interesting things to kind of pick out from qualifying generally. I mean, Nick DeVries out-qualifying Snowder, Great result for him. Joe looks, you know, comfortably um, clear of Valtteri Bottas. And they were saying on the broadcast that I think it's the first time Bottas has qualified below seventh in Spain since his rookie season in 2013. So he, wow. he goes well around here. Uh, obviously, a lot of that time was driving for Mercedes. So, <laughs> you know. Uh, but the Haas looks very good over one lap. Less so on a long run. But Lance Stroll... Yes, Fernando Alonso had a difficult weekend and yeah, there was work on the car, but it's good to see him back. I remember saying last weekend that he just, I'm sure he's not right because the disparity between the two, this so far this season has been larger than I'd expect. You'd expect a little bit of a gap, but it was nice to see him finally be on the front foot for a weekend. It certainly was. And as you said, it was his first time out qualifying Alonso this season. And I often feel Stroll is kind of an underestimated driver on the one of the most underestimated drivers on the grid so it was nice to see him get a good qualifying lap in and start high up and of course you know that pace would serve Lance Stroll well uh, at the start of the race and yeah the early stages uh, towards a good performance but before we get into the race itself we do of course Abby need to cover off the most essential part of the podcast we do. as always it's the national anthem review the actually world famous i'm gonna say i'm gonna say world famous um if the quiz is almost world famous this is most definitely <laughs> certified world famous the formula nerds anthem review it's double trouble for us this week because it is. because not only do we have the national anthem of spain itself we also have the catalan national anthem for the region in which barcelona resides so abby Talk us through your thoughts and feelings on a pretty, uh, you know, uh, a pretty good national anthem as far as I'm concerned. I don't know if you see it the same. I do. So I've actually rated this 8.5 out of 10 because I really enjoyed it. We got two. They're both very good melodies. The person, I can't remember her name, I think it's Laura someone, who was playing on the piano, played them very well. She was very expressive, I'd say, in her movements on the piano when she was playing it. But I liked her dress. The tunes were upbeat. They had both. I did notice the fact that once the National Anthem of Spain had been played, the drivers kind of got ready to leave and then she started playing again and they were all like, oh, quick, we need to get back into position. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed them. And I especially like the camaraderie between Science and Alondo standing in front of all the other drivers, wrapped around each other. It was a good show, I think. One of the best national anthems for me this season so far. Yeah. You you know that I, as much as anyone likes to take the mick out of national anthem, <laughs> it's it's kind of difficult, difficult to. They really did it justice uh, for the Spanish Grand Prix. The two anthems was a really nice touch, particularly given the backdrop of uh, that's always there of kind of Catalan independence. So it's nice that that recognition was was given. I also agree it was lovely to see Carlos and Fernando standing in front of their their peers and yeah could really kind of enjoy that moment. As well, you know, very dramatic, kind of only piano. It was very, very well delivered. But also some of the camera shots and the cinematography of it was very impressive. Like the bit where they use the, the piano, the bottom of the piano lid, and it was a grand piano to kind of mirror. So there was a shot where you saw the woman playing the piano twice, both you know in front of the camera and in the reflection, which I thought was a, a very nice touch. So yeah, you know what? I'm also, I'm, I'm going to score it highly. I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. 
Mm. You know, it also gains marks for it didn't have um, Shrek-like children <laughs> singing. Um, How did I know that was going to come up at some point? It's, it's always going to come up. Um, yeah, Spain is really teaching some of the other Spanish-speaking <laughs> countries um, how they should uh, do national anthems. But... Unfortunately, we're not here to talk about national anthems for the entire podcast, as much as I would like to. Uh, we do need to move on to the race. A pretty interesting first few laps, I thought. Uh, could you just talk us through the uh, yeah the opening salvo to the race? Yes. So obviously, it was Verstappen and Science on the front row, and when the lights went out, it was a battle between them to see who would get the lead. But Verstappen did squeeze Science out the way and keep the lead over the race. Further back on the second row, though, there was a surprising bit of contact made between both Lewis Hamilton and Lando Norris going into turn one. And whilst Hamilton got out unscathed, Lando was forced to then pit and he changed onto the hard tyres, but he also needed a new front wing due to the contact with Hamilton. And after pitting with that, he was then at the back of the field and sadly didn't make progress throughout the rest of the race. And on the other side of the Mercedes garage, Russell, he started P12, but he had a great start. He managed to move up five places, but then going into turn one, I think it was three cars wide with Russell on the outside. And then he had to go onto the escape road, go round the bollards. And he was noted for leaving the track and gaining an advantage. But the stewards then decided no further investigation, as it was clear he actually made the places up on the start, not actually using the escape road. And then for Lance Stroll, he had a great start as well. I think he was on the soft tyres and he managed to move up a couple of places as well, getting ahead of Hamilton into the podium positions, I may add. Yeah, it was a nice move on Hamilton, who was obviously a little bit reeling from his contact with with Norris, uh, which was unfortunate for, for Norris. As Martin Brundle stayed on the Sky Sports broadcast, Lando's mistake was not sticking hard right going into that first corner. He didn't keep the inside line and yeah, gifted Lewis the opportunity to go up the inside. And that was, well, as we know, incredibly costly for the rest of his race. So yeah, in a season when McLaren really needs some good performances, that was disappointing to see. Uh, So yeah, a little bit of a misjudgment there from Lando. Um, But with George, I thought a penalty would have been incredibly harsh. It was a brilliant start from him. It made up lots of positions and he then did follow the race director's instructions to the to the letter. You, you know, if you go off, you go wide, you are instructed to go around the bollard and, and follow that piece of tarmac. And for whatever reason, that isn't having as big an impact negatively than it has on years gone by. So it would be harsh to them be like, well, he still made up positions. He, he did follow the rules, though. I was going to say, I think it was Anthony Davidson of the Sky team who then, he noted that Russell was under investigation, but when he looked back, he did say, oh no, he made up the positions at the start. But just to touch on the feeder series, a lot of drivers, particularly in F2, had to use the escape road and they went around the bollards and they came out like level with the car that they were battling with. A lot of the time, they didn't actually come out that far back. So whilst it is good to have that there it doesn't necessarily negatively impact someone else's race as badly as it should like you said but just going back to the Norris thing ahead of the weekend Norris never expected to be P3 he said they would be lucky if they even got into the points and I saw on social media a video of a post-race interview with him and he said I wouldn't have done anything different on the opening lap because they said would you not have defended against Lewis harder by moving your car over to make less space and he went no, I wouldn't do anything different, which I thought was interesting because I did agree with Brundle on that. Yeah, I mean, fair play to for him to stick by his convictions. And yeah, he's a, he's a confident guy. He's a, a world-class racing driver. He's earned the right to st- stand by what what decision made, he made in the heat of a, of a car accelerating to whatever miles now they get to for the turn one in Spain. It's a long rundown. So they, you know, they you know, get some serious momentum. And yeah, his race, he knew his race wasn't with with Mercedes and Lewis. 
he knew the race was further back. So yeah, I do see his point of view completely. I, I get why you kind of think, you know what, I'm going to keep my nose clean. Unfortunately, sometimes in, in racing, if you're not aggressive, you're, you know, kind of in no man's land. Uh, a little bit like, you know, for those, you know, for the listeners who have ever played rugby, they kind of say, you've got to be fully committed in a tackle. Otherwise you're going to get hurt. It's a little bit like that with the first corner of an F1 race. So yeah, that was unfortunate for him. And just to touch on the um, going around the bollard, the you know, kind of ex- external run road uh, there, I actually think that that is exactly what you want. If, if you get pushed wide, it's not necessarily your fault, but you've gone wide, so you then have to observe the the rules there. And it's good that they, you can then retain that fight into turn four, five, and so on. So, yeah, I think that's worked pretty well. I, I actually thought Verstappen was maybe a little aggressive uh, going into turn one. And I didn't until later in the race, and we'll get to it and we'll get to why. Uh, but I think, yeah, I just want to note that before we compare it to other incidents that might come up uh, down the line. So in the early stages, obviously we've noted that George made some very, very good progress. Perez who lined up in front of him, didn't. The difference, Perez was on the medium tyre. Russell, like Lewis, was on the soft. It felt like a real misjudgment from Red Bull to me. Yeah, I think for Max, it works. Going Starting on the mediums, he was doing the longer run, stay on them for longer, and then change and pit. But for Perez, I was surprised because he was starting further back and with Russell behind him, I thought that Red Bull would have wanted to put him onto the soft so he would get a good getaway from the start, be able to overtake and then work his way forward. But his performance this weekend just wasn't what we've seen of Perez so far this season. Obviously, he's won a couple of races. He's battled Max for the championship. At one point, there was only like one point in it. But now, I don't know. It was a strange call to have both Verstappen and Perez on the same strategy when they were in completely different positions on the grid. Do you think this is potentially uh, some of the fallout from Miami where alternate strategies, a real disparity in race pace, let's keep it uniform, let's keep it fair, let's allow the drivers to fight on as an even footing as possible given that they're starting 10 places apart? Perhaps, yes, it could be. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting one um, because the conventional wisdom was always you put, you either go hard and you go long or you go soft and you try and work through the traffic early. Mediums felt like a little bit of a no man's land. Um, but we did actually see very few hard tyres successfully used uh, throughout the race. A few years ago, I remember when Alex Albon was racing for Red Bull, he was on the hards in Spain and he was in no man's land. He was just totally lost. And obviously the changes to the layout of the track since then. So a little bit of a different prospect, but heading into the kind of early pit stop window in a multi-strategy race, we had the Alfa Romeo's and Nico Hulkenberg in the Haas stopping particularly early. But the most interesting uh, talking point was uh, lap 16 when Carlos Sainz came in um, to stop onto the medium tyres. Abby, uh, what, do you think that was the right call? Did Carlos Sainz think that was the right call? Sainz certainly didn't. I think at that point he was ahead of Hamilton and Hamilton was like right on his gearbox chasing him down. And Sainz did begin on the soft and then he came in and pitted onto the mediums. But he said over the radio, why? Why are you bringing me in at this point? Because he felt that his tyres were good enough and could last longer for him to stay ahead of Hamilton. But ultimately, he pitted, came out behind Hamilton and unfortunately for him, stayed behind Hamilton for the rest of the race. And from there, his race kind of went downhill. Yeah, it was... A, 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 a not puzzling decision necessarily at the time, but it for once felt like, okay, the science is saying I've got pace in hand here. I mean, it's arguable when you're you know, already four or five seconds behind Verstappen. You know, do you have pace in hand? You know, you clearly then the metric at which they're comparing themselves, you know, to is, is the Mercedes. And, you know, that's, that says everything really, isn't it? That they're always looking behind, never ahead. But Leclerc, a lap later, started in the pit lane on the hards, 
InfoSoft after 17 laps. It just seemed like they'd got it all wrong. There was no pace. He was unable to work his way through. So yeah, a, a sign of uh, a, a race in which I kind of felt like Ferrari had it strategy-wise right up until strategy actually came into play. It was it was bizarre. Like I, I had more confidence in them to not have a bad race. Yeah, it especially for Leclerc, like, like you said, starting from the pit lane on the hard, you think you're going to go long, see where you can get with these tyres and then pit. But lap 17, switching on to, I think it was the softs that he then changed on to, yep, yep. was really bizarre. And yes, Leclerc had managed to get up to P11 before lap 17, but that was mainly due to the cars that, had, that were in front of him having already pitted and obviously Norris went to the back of the grid because of the damage. And it was a real shame because Ferrari put a whole new gearbox and did some changes to Leclerc's car after qualifying to hopefully have make him have a better race. But it just didn't work out. And he really struggled, it seemed, on those tyres to get the pace in and to perform overtakes. Yeah, he stagnated after that initial working his way through the field. In fact, the only real mover of note was George Russell. Even Perez didn't show the pace that you'd expect because, as we mentioned before, the medium tyres. So it was a, 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 quite a puzzling uh, opening few stages of the, uh, of the race. It was another 10 laps after Sainz pitted that Hamilton, who had been only a few seconds behind him, um, came in. And such was the inability of the Ferrari to turn it on on new tyres. Hamilton only came out a couple of seconds behind and within a lap or two had, had cleared Sainz. Sainz was moving backwards. Leclerc, I think if he had started further forward, would also have moved backwards. He only moved forwards because he was racing inferior cars, let's face it. Yeah, exactly. And with the Mercedes pit stops, Russell even questioned saying, is a one-stop possible? Like the tyres are good, which I was glad about because over the sessions of the weekend Russell had been complaining that the tyres hadn't felt that great but the Mercedes do have race pace but I was really surprised to see both Mercedes overtake a Ferrari and also overtake the Aston Martins as well which were proving to be stronger in the early races of this season but yeah the Mercedes definitely had it had the right strategy down their upgrades are clearly working because they managed to last longer on the tyres as well. But one thing we did note, Sam, was the different wing that the Mercedes were running and how that impacted their tyres. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Bradley Lord, who is the communications director, uh, pointed this out on the Sky Sports broadcast that they were running with higher levels of wing over the weekend, which was obviously a good compromise for them because... You know, the final two corners are much quicker than they have been for, what, 15, 16 years. So therefore, higher tyre deg, more stress than tyres. And by having that more wing, yes, you're creating a, a draggier car on the straights, but you're getting better performance throughout the, the corners. And it's clearly suited the W14 or the, the revamped W14 well. Whereas Ferrari and Aston Martin really looked in no man's land for the second, third and fourth fastest cars, you know, varying orders weekend by weekend. It it was interesting to see Ferrari going backwards and Aston Martin only being really able to hold their ground. Alonso was essentially in no man's land for a lot of the race. And you'd have thought that home Grand Prix, he'd be really up for a fight. And yeah, it was, um, yeah, they, they clearly couldn't mix it with Mercedes, which... Yeah, as you said, shows that those upgrades are working more so than Mercedes less on, but also shows that Mercedes can lean into the fact that they have often in the last couple of years had a draggier car, one that isn't as uh, effective on the straights. It's almost like they've kind of reversed roles with Red Bull, who produced pretty competitive cars when they didn't have a particularly good engine uh, provider you know, 10 years ago or so. And yeah, it was it's almost a polar opposite to where Mercedes were at that point. Yeah, exactly. And as you said, with the chicane, it does amplify that tyre deck. And Barcelona is a circuit known for being increasingly hard on the tyres. And it was good to see that slight changes that Mercedes have brought have made them be able to challenge Aston Martin and challenge Ferrari. 
But yeah, they always say that if you're racing at your home race, it can add like, I think it's like half a second that it can add to lap time. So it was surprising to see Sainz and Alonso both go backwards during the race and have a underwhelming performance. Yeah, let's face it, I don't want to be too harsh to Carlos, but he has often stagnated or gone backwards in races this year. He's struggling to turn on the pace when he needs to. And I think it says a lot about the car, but it also says a little bit about Carlos. He he needs to find that kind of genese qua that he's maybe lost a little bit, like Leclerc has, but it's more pronounced with Carlos because I think ultimately, um, since 2022, he struggled with Leclerc did, as I said earlier, have a strong start to the year. So, yeah, there's work for Ferrari to do. Aston Martin, I think they can just put it down for a bad weekend. If they have another couple over the next few weekend, race weekends, then, yeah, maybe look at it. But, yeah, well, I, I I can't see Mercedes being quite as dominant over those two when we get to Canada. Uh, I just don't think it's necessary in their circuit. One person who did, though, show pretty impressive race pace was Pierre Gasly. So he had a difficult weekend, all things considered. It was was a tale of two halves, really. Qualified fourth, showed brilliant pace. Obviously, that penalty, or those two penalties moving down to P10, had a shocking opening lap. It was P15, elevated to P14 when Norris pitted. But he showed he was able to carve through the field when Leclerc wasn't. And they were, you know, occupying roughly the kind of same piece of tarmac for a lot of the race. So, Abby, what what does that tell you about Alpine's pace? Because Ocon's had some pretty good performance the last two weekends as well. I think Laurent Rossi's comments were the boot up the bum effectively that Alpine needed. They weren't performing particularly well at the beginning of the season especially Miami I think that was the race where Laurent Rossi was like this is not good enough for Alpine Monaco Ocon did amazingly got the podium this week last weekend Gasly obviously he did get the penalty but he did do well to put his car where he had in qualifying and Ocon as well got into Q3 during the race they did have some good battles and it was good to see because I feel like Alpine have now cemented themselves as the fifth best team on the grid. Originally, they were fighting with McLaren. I don't think McLaren are quite there yet to fight for fifth. I think Alpine have that space secured because for me, they're not fighting Mercedes or, for well, they might end up fighting Ferrari depending on how their upgrades continue or Aston Martin. And whilst McLaren are a bit behind, Alpine just seem to have a new lease of life. It feels like their drivers are now more motivated to just get on with it, make up places, get some good laps in and progress through the field. And it's good to see for me because I'm glad that they're they're having a stronger, stronger weekends now. Yeah, exactly. It feels a little bit like the pace is there. They just need to put it all together. Uh, they yeah. need to iron out those mistakes and get you know move through that bad luck, that bad exactly. patch. Whereas McLaren, I feel like there's work to do. And it's interesting because we often talk about the kind of the trio of Alpine, Aston Martin and McLaren as that kind of real upper midfield trio that we've had the last few years. And we've both said at points, Aston Martin, we always felt, even when they were really struggling, always was the project that was probably going to come good. Yeah. McLaren burnt bright for a couple of years, given the lows of kind of the, well, Fernando Fernando Loris? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Uh, Fernando Fernando Alonso and Lando Norris in one. Um, Through the Fernando Alonso era and the Honda era, had some really promising years with Lando and Carlos Sainz and have regressed, let's face it. They haven't stepped on and through from what third in the constructors championship I think in 2020 so they had yeah they they had some good times where they looked like they were about to kind of yeah step back into the ring as to where they should be yeah they've regressed and now it looks like Alpine look more comfortable look more racy um so yeah some some serious work for McLaren to do at this point um but overall looking at the the race We've mentioned the multiple strategies. What that also did lend to was really good on track action, actually. You've we haven't talked about Verstappen much because he was in a race of his own. 
that that in itself wasn't that interesting. It, you know, we're used to that by now. But I found some real joy in what was happening behind, particularly uh, Nico Hockenberg, Yuki Snowda, and Zhou Guan Yu's fight in the midfield. Yeah, definitely. I think I know the Sky team said coming into this weekend, like no one is expecting to race Red Bull, no one's expecting to race Verstappen. He finished 18 seconds ahead. So that obviously is not that entertaining to watch when you have Verstappen just sailing out up front. But the three-way battle between Hulkenberg, Show and Sonoda was so good. And it lasted several corners for the three of them. And then Joe and Sonoda then had a battle later on that lasted several laps, I think. So with the three-way battle, it was Ocon came out of the pits at one point, which caused Hulkenberg, who was in front, to slow down, which allowed Sonoda to then get closer to Joe, who was in the middle of the two. And then it was Sonoda trying to get ahead of Joe, but Joe trying to get ahead of Hulkenberg. And finally, Sonoda did get ahead of Joe. And then finally, Hulkenberg. But it was just great to see because, yes, like a lot of these cars, they do promote closer racing. But sometimes we haven't seen like proper battles and proper overtakes. And Barcelona is a track where it can be difficult to overtake. But having these three cars follow each other so closely, lasting several corners of that circuit, it, for me, was one of the most entertaining things during the race because it was a proper battle of racing. Yeah, absolutely. And on the cars often struggling to overtake around uh, Catalonia, I really noticed in the first corner of the race, the cars looked comedically big. They looked ridiculous. Yes. They, yeah, these cars are five and a half meters long now. They are huge, and it just looked like, oh no, they're they're way too big. And so, yeah, it's becoming fewer and further between to get good racing, especially somewhere like Catalonia, where it's quite a narrow track. Um, so, yeah, that was really nice to see. And of course, Joe and Sonoda, their battle did progress into one of the more controversial moments of the race. So, Abby, talk us through that incident at Turn One. Yeah, so as we said, it was Joe who was then behind Sonoda after Sonoda had gotten ahead in the three-way battle. And going down straight, going into turn one, Joe tried to go for the overtake on the outside. Sonoda defended and Joe was forced to go on the escape road. And he said, he pushed me off the track, which was then noted by the stewards, investigated. And Sonoda received a five-second penalty for it, which he himself believes is quite harsh because... I think he thought it was just clean racing, the two of them going, not enough room. But I don't think he felt that he pushed Joe off to the track and forced him. But at the end, he did get the penalty. Yeah, for me, it wasn't a penalty. And yeah, you remember I mentioned earlier on about Verstappen and Sainz's kind of fight into the first corner of the first lap. Yes, obviously, the rules of engagement are slightly different off the start as compared to, you know, compared to further into the race. But I think they were actually pretty similar instances if you're looking at them just as as they are. So it didn't quite sit with me. I don't think he really pushed him off. His wheel was fully cranked. It wasn't like a strategic thing. There just wasn't the space. And that's what that runoff road is for. That's why they've tarmacked over so many corners that, let's face it, should probably be gravel and have more jeopardy attached. So, yeah, it felt a little bit unjust on Snowder. And he looked devastated after the race. There's photos of him just really upset because it cost him points, that five-second penalty. And, yeah, we know that's been particularly hard for him to come by. As for for Joe, though, I'm I'm, I'm thrilled for him. He he had a really strong race. He looked miles clear of Valtteri Bottas, who just kind of was pretty anonymous, really. Uh, He, you know, qualified out in Q1 and didn't make any progress, went backwards from where where he started, where Joe was mixing in the points and then, yeah, ultimately did score. Um, So, yeah, that, that was really promising. Another contentious point of the race was the... Uh, Ocon and Alonso uh, moment when Ocon was defending into turn one. Alonso was clearly going to go through. Ocon maybe a bit late with his move. I know that the the commentary team at Sky felt so. 
Do you think it was a, a day late and a dollar short, as Martin Brundle would say? I did think that it was a bit aggressive. Obviously, Ocon is going to defend against Alonso, especially when Alonso was starting the race behind him and Ocon coming from coming from a podium, having the Aston Martin, who the team's second, in, well, they were second in the championship. He is going to defend and he is going to race. But for me, it was a little bit too late, his move. It was a bit aggressive. I felt he could have done it earlier, but... At the end of the day, he did what he did. And thankfully, there was no like brake stopping or like any incidents. It did end up being a clean battle. But for me, it was a tad aggressive. Yeah, I mean, let's face it. Fernando Alonso is a, a wily old fox. He he can anticipate th- these things. He's at that stage of his career where he, every scenario that he is confronted with, he's probably been in before. He knows exactly. how to navigate these things. But yeah, no surprise to see Ocon racing Fernando Alonso harder than he might other people, especially given their kind of tumultuous relationship at Alpine um, the previous couple of years. One person that, again, I mentioned before, haven't spoken about much. And I'm not sure, you know, there's a huge amount to say on this. But Verstappen had fun with the track limits. And poor GP uh, had some fun trying to get Max to kind of rein it in a little (laughs) bit and not unnecessarily risk things given how, uh, how dominant he was. Abby, what's your take on that? I think it was unnecessary for Max He did track limits. He was unsure where. He got the black and white flag. And he he was so far ahead of Hamilton. Like, I saw a video of someone that they shared. They were in the grandstand. You had Verstappen go go past. And then it seemed like forever until Hamilton's car went past because Verstappen was so far ahead. But then, like, over the radio, he was saying, what's the fastest lap? And GP said, it's a 16.6. It was the first lap on a new soft for Checo with DRS. So I wouldn't worry about it. You've been given a black and white flag, so we cannot afford anything. What does Max then do? He then sets the fastest lap. And then GP and Red Bull are saying, right, can you just bring it home? Stay within the white lines. There's no need for you to risk it. And Max's response was, yeah, yeah. Like non-committal. Like you can say what you want. I'm Max Verstappen. I'm going to race for myself. And it did seem like he was just racing for himself not the team and it's if you go over again he would have been penalized and I don't know it just seemed like he was very dismissive of the team's orders which there was no reason for him to be he was in the lead he had the win in the bag basically from the get-go so yeah it was just not needed it's funny because I haven't really looked at it from that perspective from from the team's perspective I I'd looked at it from a Look, mate, dial it back. Like you don't need to um, to be pushing. And in fact, um, Autosport gave him a nine out of ten for the race. And I think that's fair enough because their rationale was: look, if you have to race at ninety percent, you know you're not giving it your it your all. So why would you, we give you a ten out of ten? Fair enough. Absolutely. Yeah. Spot on. But yeah, so he could have dialed it back further from there. He didn't need to push. But I also love the fact that he was pushing. It's, it's Max Verstappen. That is, that is what makes him brilliant, is that it's, you know what, every little point is important to me. It counts. And that is brilliant. But I must I must concede to you, Abby, that I hadn't looked at it from the team's perspective. If he had binned it, they would have been like, mate, why? Exactly. Give Lewis a, 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 Lewis a first win in, well, since... Saudi Arabia 2021 like it would have been you know wouldn't have been great so yeah I I, I think it's it's interesting because it's such an innocuous talking point really yeah but there are layers to it so yeah I think ultimately I love the approach maybe the execution he needs to be a little bit more careful with because there are times where he won't be able to get away with that one driver who didn't race for himself was Alonso because Obviously, as we know, Stroll out-qualified Alonso and started higher up the grid. And he had a great race. And there was a point where Alonso was behind Stroll. And Alonso over the radio said, tell Stroll not to worry. I'm not going to overtake. I'm just making sure that there's a gap to the cars behind me. Which we've seen a a change in Alonso this season. He's worked as a team. He's been a friend to Lance. And I can't remember which race it was. But he was looking in the mirrors and said over the radio... 
Tell Lance that was a really good overtake because he wanted, he had time to watch it on TV and he, he was complimenting Stroll and he's helping Stroll, which for me is great to see. Yeah, it, I think there have been obviously conversations um, had, you know, we want this a, a cohesive unit all moving in the same direction, which let's face it hasn't always been the case in teams that Fernando has been in. He is also older, though. He's more mature. He doesn't have as much to prove. Yes, he's only a two-time world champion, but I think everyone can see that he should have really won more. He's had the talent to. He's just been in the wrong place at the wrong time. Maybe that's his fault, but the last couple of years at Alpine, he has was far outperformed what I think people expected of him. You know, like Australia last year, where he was just on such brilliant form. Yes, it ultimately didn't end the way he wanted to. I think he ended qualifying in the wall. But he was outperforming that car. And he's coming to the Aston Martin team and he's yeah gone from strength to strength. He doesn't need to be aggressive and get into arguments with his team or his teammate. He can just bring home points when he needs to because let's face it, generally speaking, when push comes to shove, if they're in a fight for a podium, it's Fernando who's going to be getting that podium because he is, you know, more consistently showing better pace than, than Lance. So yeah, that was a, a nice um a nice talking point from the race. And yeah, you know, one for us to kind of move on into our driver ratings um with So Abby. Who uh who takes your fancy today? I feel like you're gonna go with a, a more conventional choice than you you sometimes do. <laughs> yeah. So this, for the Spanish Grand Prix, my driver of the day is Hamilton, which may be cliche because he was the voters' driver of the day. But for me, he recovered well from the contact with Norris. I for sure thought he was going to have damage, but he didn't. Carried on well. He did some overtakes. He overtook an Aston Martin. He overtook a Ferrari. He managed his tyres well. I think Hamilton is always one who can be very clever when it comes to his tyres and it showed today and he had a good weekend overall considering where his expectations were after practice I feel like he did well so I'm giving it to Hamilton you know what I could have sworn you were going to go for who I wanted to go for so I'm quite pleased you went for Lewis I was going to go George Russell and I am going George Russell because there's only two of us and (laughs) take our pick this week Um, I mean yeah Rapid off the line, made what four or five places by turn one. You know, turn one, yeah, obviously went off, but he abided by the rules. He, he he kept his nose clean. He did what he needed to do, and then his race pace was good from there. He was he was chill. He was well, <laughs> actually not that chill. We haven't even mentioned the sweat. I was just going to say, yeah. So you know, obviously everyone who watched it would have heard George uh, suggest there was rain at turn five. Which I thought was quite interesting because turn five, I'm pretty sure, is like one of the infield yeah. corners. So I was thinking, I was like, well, if there's rain at turn five, there's going to be rain at turn one. And there's going to be like, <laughs> that doesn't make sense. And I was kind of like, you know, what is going on? And then, yeah, it turned out that it was just sweat uh, in his helmet, which had obviously flicked onto his visor, given the impression that there was rain. So, the yeah, the fact that he was able to kind of question and puzzle these things shows that he was very much in control and showing some good form yeah worked through um really really well and to even be in the fight with science having started p12 when science started p2 just says everything it was a really complete drive for him and that lineup of mercedes if they can get the car right will hold them in really good stead because they've shown much better consistency regards to the car they have than the Ferrari pair and the Red Bull pair and also the Aston Martin pair. So, yeah, he's uh, he's my driver of the day for, for those reasons. So, moving ahead, obviously, we've got a couple of weeks off. Then we have the Canadian Grand Prix, uh, which is always a, a fan favourite. It's a it's a good race. It's fun. It's also an evening race, which I know I love. I'm not <laughs> sure if, if if you feel the same, Abby. But um, heading into that Grand Prix, if you could just run us through the driver standings, please. Yes. So it comes as no surprise that Max Verstappen is still in the lead by a fair amount of points. Perez is second with Alonso behind him in third. And then it is Hamilton in fourth, Russell in fifth, 
Science in sixth, ahead of Leclerc in seventh, Stroll in eighth, then both Alpines with Ocon in ninth and Gasly in tenth. So five teams taking up the top ten in the standings. Yeah, I mean, not not hugely surprising given how dominant four of the teams are, and obviously with Alpine mixing it um, in the race for P5 and having the edge, as we've discussed, over McLaren at this stage. Um, and that brings us nicely, actually, onto the uh, the Constructors' Championship. Well, Red Bull are still leading by over 100 points, so it's fair to say that they probably have the Constructors' Championship in the bag. But after their double podium in Spain, Mercedes are now P2 in the championship ahead of Aston Martin, who are third. Ferrari are then in fourth, Alpine fifth, McLaren sixth, Haas seventh, equal on points with Alfa Romeo after Joe scoring points in the race, Alfa Tauria ninth and Williams are tenth. Very good. Thank you very much for that. Good to see a good weekend for Alfa Romeo in particular. Um, But yeah, that's pretty much all we have time for. Abby, thank you very much for joining me thank you for being the host it's it's been strange being the two of us but i feel like we've done a good job co-host co-host, co-host. Oh, thank you. So this was a team effort um <laughs> in adverse conditions um if if they weren't necessarily in spain on sunday um which i think we were all, all hoping for but yeah we'll bring them on to the uh adverse conditions uh in the uk on the podcast yeah, obviously Charlton not necessarily being a barometer for the weather this weekend. Um, I, I can't believe I even remembered that. But anyway, <laughs> um, if you have any thoughts that you'd like to share with us, please hit us up at info at formulanerd.com. Also, please do check out our socials um, on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. I'm old, so I don't know all the social medias anymore. Uh, maybe you can fill me in if I've missed any, Abby. Um, um don't think so. I think you've you've got it covered. Oh, down with the kids, down with the kids. Uh, <laughs> as in, I'm down with the kids, not down with the kids. Uh, just, just so we're clear. Um, but of course, I'm the editor-in-chief of the website. Abby is the Debsey editor-in-chief. So we'd be amiss if we didn't mention the Formula Nerds website. So please do check out all of our team's excellent journalism there. But for now... I've forgotten what it is that Ollie signs off the shows with, so I'm going to borrow from James McKenzie, who we also miss dearly, and say it's mics off, lights out, and away we go. Thank you. You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go. Sports Social Podcast Network.